All right, let's open up our Bibles to Exodus chapter 8. Exodus chapter 8. Please do get back and speak with Esther, ask her lots of questions. Um, I can't emphasize enough how eye-opening, both from a location standpoint and from a language standpoint, that presentation was this morning. Uh, Very few missionary presentations have been as effective as hers was. And so, um, really, uh, please get back and uh, see her, greet her, uh, grab her prayer cards so that you can be praying for her. they got a big job ahead of them. And uh, um, as she mentioned, they're not starting from square one, um, but pretty, pretty close to it. And so uh, they, need, uh, they need a lot of prayer. Exodus chapter 16, Exodus, I'm sorry, Exodus chapter 8, and we'll pick up our reading in verse 16. If you're just joining us, uh, we've been working our way through the book of Exodus, um, verse by verse, studying it out, and we have, uh, we're in the section of the book where God is unleashing these ten plagues upon the nation of Egypt. And we've covered the plague of the water turning into blood and the frogs. And today, we're going to be talking about these insects, the Lord, and I'm entitling this sermon, The Lord of the Flies, which is, of course, borrowing the famous novel by William Golding, written in 1954. Um, How many of you Um, your uh, high school English professor made you read that book, okay? How many of the rest of you were left very disturbed after reading that book? Okay, some of us were. And uh, I uh, I think Pharaoh was more than disturbed by what happens in these next two plagues, which we'll be covering today. Let's pick up our reading in Acts chapter, I'm sorry, Acts, Exodus chapter 8, beginning in verse 16, and we'll read the first few verses, and then we'll move on. Verse 16, then the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth so that it may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. And they did so. Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth, and there were gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. The magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself to Pharaoh as he goes out to the water, and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me. Or else, if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people and into your houses, and the houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies, and also the ground on which they stand. But on that day I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell, so that no swarms of flies shall be there, that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Thus, I will put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow, this sign shall happen. And the Lord did so. There came great swarms. You might want to circle that word. It means uh, heavy or, in some contexts, mighty. There came heavy, mighty swarms of flies into the house of Pharaoh and into the servants' houses. Throughout all the land of Egypt, uh, I'm sorry, throughout all the, uh, the land of Egypt, the land was ruined by the swarm 
swarms of flies. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Go sacrifice to your God within the land. But Moses said, It would not be right to do so, for the offerings we shall sacrifice to the Lord our God are an abomination to the Egyptians. If we sacrifice offerings abominable to the Egyptians before their eyes, they will, not, will they not stone us? We must go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he tells us. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. Only, you must not go very far away. Plead for me. Then Moses said, Behold, I am going out from you, and I will plead with uh, the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people tomorrow. Only let not Pharaoh cheat again by letting the people go to uh, by letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord, and the Lord did as Moses asked, and removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. Not one remained. But Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also, and did not let the people go. Father, give us grace to understand this passage. Help us to make good application to it in our lives. Father, help us to understand this part of human nature that Pharaoh is displaying to us now. You so graciously come to us. So often you try to direct us. So often you issue us commands in our, in our sin and rebellion. We ignore you or we try to bargain with you in an effort to have it our own way. Help us, Lord, to relent under your gracious hand, knowing that it's mighty. Help us to relent under your merciful call to come to Christ. Not to try to have it our own way, but to let you be God and let us be your creation. For we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Children, I have a little story for you, a few thoughts. I've lived in a few different places in this country, and when I lived in Georgia, you know what we had in the extreme in Georgia and South Carolina? We had heat and humidity. You even think about walking outside in Georgia or South Carolina, you break into a sweat, okay? That's no exaggeration. It's hot and humid there. My wife and I lived in the Midwest for a couple of years, and there we have extreme weather. There will be hailstorms and lightning storms. And I think it was my wife and I's first weekend there, there was a tornado that came just by our house, not like 100 feet away from our house, but in the same town there was a tornado that wiped out some homes. So what's special about Utah? Well, if you're born and raised here, if you've lived here in Utah your whole life, how many of you children have lived in Utah your whole life? Okay, I need you to know something. In Utah, we have something that no place else in the country has, and it is bugs. We have bugs galore here in Utah. At my house in September, the box elder bugs will swarm you and swoop down upon you. I will spray the house with a chemical, and in the morning, thousands of box elder bugs will be dead on the concrete. I have to vacuum them up with my shop vac, and you know what's back there the next morning? Thousands of more dead box elder bugs. 
when Pastor Chris and Miss Megan were candidating out here several years ago, we took them for a drive on Antelope Island. It was the Mayfly season. In the front bumper of our car, the headlights were dimmed because of the cloud of mayflies that our car had struck. I'd never seen anything like it. And children, all of you know about this year's grasshoppers, don't you? I was on my bicycle riding on Friday, and I can't tell you how many times grasshoppers jumped up and stuck to me. One time, a grasshopper, I was riding downhill super fast, a grasshopper hit me right in my glasses, and I was very thankful to have had glasses on. Here in Utah, we have bugs and lots of bugs, like nowhere else I've ever lived. And in these two plagues, we will discover some bugs. Now, I'm saying it that way, that we will discover some bugs, because we're not exactly sure what kind of bugs they were. I'm going to point that out to you in the text. But let's get a little context from this passage, and then we're going to cover plagues number three and four. Just so you adults know, uh, we're going to be taking a little break from Exodus, I think, in the, book, in the month of August. Um, I'm not going to be preaching uh, next week and when I'm gone on vacation, and so instead of uh, trying to piece it together, we'll pick up with the fifth plague in the month of September. Uh, but we will still have um, our preaching, of course, and so, uh, but we are going to be taking a little break from the book of Exodus uh, following today, and we'll pick it back up in the fall, okay? In context, we have these first two plagues, the plague of the water being turned uh, into blood, or something like blood at the very least. We see all these frogs all over the nation of Egypt, and this morning, children, this morning, I stepped on slime on my kitchen floor, and I think I know who put it there. And it felt like I would imagine a frog to feel. Okay? I mentioned that last week, and then it happened this Sunday. It really did. And so there were frogs everywhere. And what we noted when we went through those passages was that God is attacking the theology of the nation of Egypt. They worshipped the Nile. They worshipped all of these gods that surrounded the Nile. And God was systematically showing them that he was superior to their gods. And at the height of this plague of the frogs, Pharaoh asks Moses to intercede, and uh, he promises to release the Israelites. He says, plead for me. I will let them go. And Moses says, I, I, I will pray for you. When shall I pray for you? I will give you the honor of deciding. And Pharaoh famously says, tomorrow. Moses prays, and the frogs die out. But Pharaoh reneges on this promise. How true to human nature. The immediate need is gone. There was no heart change in the man who saw something so profound, but he didn't really want to release the Israelites. And there's a phenomenon here we need to talk about. Whenever there's a great evil in a nation, it often takes a great work to rid that nation of the great evil. Think, for example, of slavery in the, in the United States of America. It took a grave civil war to root that out. Think of the Holocaust of the Jewish people in Nazi Germany and of the grave power that had to be forced upon that nation to get them to repent of that great evil. 
And here there's this great evil in this nation. And they will not let it go easily. And Pharaoh hardens his heart. Just so we know, in these next two plagues that we're going to cover today, the plagues of the bugs, plagues number three and four, God is ceasing his attack on Egypt's religion. And he begins to address his lordship of the ground and his lordship of the air. Everywhere you walk, every time your foot hits the ground, God is over that. Every time you take a breath and partake of God's atmosphere, he's in charge of that too. And this is what God is trying to communicate to the Egyptians in this plague. We're going to cover these thematically. We're going to cover them three and four together, in a sense. We'll cover the plagues together. We'll cover Pharaoh's response together. And then we'll make some applications together. So we're not going to work all the way through the third one, then all the way through the fourth. We'll cover them in series almost so that we can get through them successfully today. Well, that brings us to the plagues. What were these two plagues? Well, first of all, we see in this passage in Exodus chapter 8 that we have the plague of the gnats. Look at verse 16. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth so that it may become gnats in all the land. It's important to note that this is the shortest of the plague descriptions. It's just three verses. But there are three no's of this plague. First of all, there's no warning to Pharaoh. Moses doesn't go to Pharaoh and tell him what's coming. He just does it. There's also no replication from the magicians. This is the first time they've been unable to um, replicate the scene. I've, I've, in the, in uh, our past sermons, when I've said the magicians were able to replicate that, I said we have two choices. We have the choice where they're actually performing a legitimate miracle by powers of darkness, or they're magicians doing sleight of hand. A lot of commentators point to this as it being sleight of hand. You can train a frog or you can train a snake, but you can't exactly train a bunch of tiny little gnats. And that is the idea. Um, Honestly, again, I'm not sure. Um, But all that, the magicians are unable to replicate it. And they say, they admit as much, this is the finger of God. And notice, on this particular plague, there's no end. It keeps going. I don't know how long it lasted. We're not told that it ever ended. But there's no terminus. This one sticks a while. God says here that the dust shall become gnats. You can see on the ground swarming swarms of gnats and little midges, the granules of sand, the little pebbles. They look like pebbles, but they suddenly sprout wings and start to fly. We're actually not sure of what kind of insect this is. We've talked about this before when Egyptians or Israelites in the Hebrew language, a lot of times they're not trying to make scientific, explicitly scientific statements with the insect that they describe. They're just describing any small little winged insect. 
A lot of commentators believe that this is talking about mosquitoes. A few years ago, we were having a men's shooting event out at Willard Bay. We were shooting at Skeets. And just as we were wrapping up, in the distance we heard, and it started to get stronger and stronger. The owner of the shooting range said, we got to go. And we're like, what is that? He goes, it's mosquitoes coming in off the Salt Lake. I was talking with our intern at the time and waited about two minutes too long to head to my truck. And a swarm of mosquitoes struck us. And within a few seconds flat, I had been bitten several times by mosquitoes. And I made a beeline for my truck and got in. And I don't know if you get that sort of feeling when you've been bitten by mosquitoes. It's awful. So perhaps these were mosquitoes. Perhaps these were the kind of little um, uh, gnats that we'll get them here in the Mountain West. Perhaps if you've been running on a trail and uh, you run through that cloud of them, one hits the back of your throat and makes you choke. This would qualify as one of these little bugs. The point is not the type of bug that it is. The point is its absolute preponderance. These little critters are everywhere. In fact, it says all the dust, these little bugs, these little gnats, they are as common as the dust and they are pervasive in every way. You can imagine as the Israel, as the Egyptians are walking and their feet stir up the dust, little clouds of gnats arise. I was reading this week in Utah that the grasshoppers are more than they've ever been. On Tuesday, I was running at the junior high track and I came around the corner and a large group of adolescent little baby grasshoppers took flight into the wind and 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 drifted on the wind like a cloud of little baby grasshoppers. In fact, that's what it was. It was a cloud of little baby grasshoppers. And I thought, wow, that must have been what the gnats were like. But imagine, it was just at the track and only one little part of the track. Imagine that being everywhere you go. Imagine it being in your flower, ladies. Imagine it being in your pantries. Imagine it being in your towels, in your beds, in your sheets, in your pillowcases. Every time you sit down on a cushion, every time you go out for a walk, there's choking, oppressive clouds of these little tiny gnats. And if they were mosquitoes, how much worse would that possibly be? And there's no end. It doesn't stop. The second of these plagues of the insects, the fourth plague, is the plague of these flies. Now, how many of you uh, look at your Bibles right now and I, if you have a New American Standard, I want you to tell me, does anybody here have a New American Standard? Okay, uh, Mrs. Mack, I want you to tell me, it says this, it says, let my people go, verse 21, or else if you will not let my people go, I will send swarms of flies. What do you notice about the word of flies in your New American Standard Bible, Mrs. Mack? It says insects. Does anybody have of flies or of insects where it's italicized? Esther does, okay? Did you know that in Hebrew, the word flies is not there? It just says swarms. 
but it's swarming swarms, lots of swarms, heavy, massive swarms. We're not told actually what type of insect it is. It's just swarms. And here, as I say in the PowerPoint, the pattern of announcement resets. Moses, for this fourth plague, is now confronting Pharaoh at the Nile. And he says, there are swarms that are going to come upon you. We don't know what kind of swarms. As I said, it could be swarms of all sorts of horse flies, these biting flies that make life absolutely miserable. There was a Greek commentator by the name of Philo, many centuries after this occurred, who believed that it was swarms of large beasts like bears and panthers and so forth. I don't know that that totally fits the context what we're talking about here. Suffice it to say, it could be a a large collection of a bunch of different types of flying insects that swarm about and fill the sky. This word filled is, uh, we'll get to that in one second, but the idea is that it's everywhere and in the ancient world. In fact, in much of the third world to date, there's no such thing as a screen for your window. There's no such thing as even a curtain. You could have a window, a glass window, if they didn't have it. You could, you could put boards up in front of your opening, but the heat was so oppressive and the, the air would not flow that to close off your house like that, you would only be opening yourself up to all the insects that were already in there already, or your house would be so oppressively hot that it would be unmanageable. Furthermore, there was no food storage refrigeration back then. And so to shop, to create food every day, you had to go shopping every day. You bought your supplies every day. And so every time you would open up your door, the swarms of whatever these insects were would come flooding into your house. Insects everywhere, flies everywhere, flies that were biting and bringing disease. Uh, the, some writers connect this one with the plague of the boils. You had all these frog carcasses, these dead and dying carcasses, and the flies would lay their eggs in these carcasses and, and in the dung and bring anthrax with them. And they would settle onto your skin and it would create boils. And so if you want some sort of naturalistic connection to these plagues, it would make perfect sense that these biting flies are bringing with them disease and festering wounds and pussy little pimples all over your body. It was, to say, a headache. This, the greatest understatement of all time. We're told in verse 8, 24, and this is a very important point you'll want to write down, that these bugs, the swarms of these bugs, whatever they were, was ruinous to the nation. It says that the nation was ruined. This is the word that's used in Genesis 6.17, the same word that Moses uses, to describe the destruction of the world with the flood. It's the same word that he uses to describe the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 18.28. Moses knows what this word means. And he says, 
that this event was cataclysmic. It was ruinous to the people, to the agriculture, to everything around it. What's more, it was utterly pervasive. It says that the swarms of bugs filled everything. This is an interesting word, this word filled. It doesn't mean like, like a child who fills the air with questions. It doesn't mean that. Here's what it means. Take a, if you were to go home and take a pot, put it in your sink, and fill it to where it starts to spill over the top, how much of the pot got filled with water? All of it. Is there any in there that didn't get water? That's the word. It's an utter, complete filling. The air is filled with them. The houses are filled with them. The beds are filled with them. Yet, in this plague, God begins to make a distinction. Now, we've talked about this before. I think it's implicit that in the previous plagues, the Israelites were spared to at least some degree. I I personally think they were spared entirely. But those are conclusions you have to draw. But in this particular plague, we're told explicitly that God's people will not be affected. They're living up north in the Delta region, a very buggy region itself. They live up in the Delta area. It's about 50 miles north of Cairo and 50 miles north of where Pharaoh would have been. And God says, I am going to make a distinction. Now, that word distinction is important. Moses is going to fill that out a little bit later. God's people are a distinct people. They're different, and God expects his people to be different. But the word here, distinct, is a unique word. It literally means this idea of protection. God says literally that he will ransom his people from this plague. The word ransom is the idea of a payment that's given to get a slave out of slavery. And God says, I'm going to deliver my people from this. They will not be in bondage to these swarms of insects, of flies, whatever they may be. I'm going to buy my people from them so that they're distinctly mine, and I'm going to make a difference so that you know there's two categories of people in this world, my people and everybody else. And God here is communicating that so clearly to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh has a couple of responses that are very true to human nature. Let's go now to Pharaoh's response. To the third plague, the plague of the gnats, or the King James has lice, it could be lice, it could be gnats, it could be mosquitoes, whatever it is. Pharaoh does what I think is probably the most destructive thing to the soul. I see this all the time from people. And I can't tell you how much I grieve when people have this response. Pharaoh simply ignores it. Pharaoh simply ignores it. Now, friends, in our human interactions, in our, in our interactions, what is one of the most 
insulting things you can do to a person, but to ignore them. This is why when husbands and wives are having a disagreement, they will say to the other, you're giving me the cold shoulder. It's almost a plea at least to engage me in this rather than just turn your back and walk away from it. It's, it's the greatest insult you can give to somebody. It dehumanizes them. You don't matter to me. I'm not listening anymore. And Pharaoh does this to God. Now, this is a very common response from Christians and non-Christians alike when God starts talking to them. People all the time pretend that God just isn't speaking to them. And that's what Pharaoh does right here. He asks his magicians to replicate the miracle so that he can have some sort of way of some sort of excuse. But even his own trusted advisors, which is what these magicians were, they say, Pharaoh, we can't replicate it. This is the hand of God. This is the hand of the mighty God himself. Now remember, they hadn't been told that. Moses didn't come to them and say, I'm going to send the gnats. This was a conclusion that they drew. This guy had come and told us two things that were going to happen, and now a third miraculous thing is happening. It must be the hand of God. This is the conclusion they drew. And when they tell Pharaoh that, he ignores them, he doesn't listen to them, he doesn't call Moses, he doesn't call Aaron. He just ignores it and lets it be. He decides to start living with it. And this is a very dangerous place for his soul to be. We'll fill this out in just a moment. When it comes to the fourth plague, Moses, of course, confronts him at the Nile and says, there's going to be great swarms of flies. Pharaoh can't ignore it this time. The flies are everywhere, so Pharaoh has a second very common response to when the Lord starts to move and act. And here's the response. Pharaoh begins to bargain with God. Pharaoh begins to bargain with God. Now, for those of you who know me, you know that I love a good negotiation. Okay? I'll, I, I, I will look on KSL for things that I know I can't afford or shouldn't have, but something in me wants to contact the seller just so I can see if I can get him down to a certain price. I always refrain, but when I go, you know, I, I, like, a, I like a good bargaining session. It's not personal. It's a fun game. <laughs> for me. <laughs> And this is what Pharaoh starts to try to do. He thinks this is a negotiation. There's one trouble with that. Let's pretend for a moment that you try to sell me my own car. And you offer me my own car. My own car is pretty beat up, so let's say $1,000. Say, I'll sell you your own car for $1,000. Why would I bargain with you? You're bargaining with what's mine. You have no ground on which to bargain with me. Kings don't bargain with subjects. 
kings just take because they already own it. And so Pharaoh tries to begin this bargaining process with God. And Moses, as God's representative, has none of it. Pharaoh gives an unacceptable offer to start. He says, I want you to go sacrifice, but, but I want you to stay within the land. Well, Moses calls foul on that one. He says, no, no, what will happen, and you know this, Pharaoh, what will happen is we're going to be doing sacrifices that are an abomination to your people. And when they see us doing these abominable sacrifices, they will attack us and kill us, and you'll be free of this problem, and you can look like the magnanimous guy who sent us off to worship. No deal. Moses calls him on it. It was a false, pretentious offer. And then Pharaoh does something amazing. He gets arrogant. He starts bossing Moses around. Okay, go. I will release you. Now pray for me. And here's this unaccounted for arrogance and egotism. And I want you to know from the text, read this with me. Pharaoh said, verse 28, I will let you go sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. Only you must not go very far away. And then he issues a terse command. Pray for me. Plead for me. And he makes it all about him. These swarms of flies that are ruining the nation, it's about him. Well, Moses, number one, smells a rat. Pharaoh says, don't go very far. That was his way of putting a little asterisk on the command. It's a little word game he was trying to do. The second thing Moses does is he picks up on this egotism from Pharaoh. And he responds this way. Moses says, behold, I am going out from you. And I will plead with the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh and from his servants. In other words, here's what Moses is saying. You're not the boss of me. I'm going to leave when I want to leave. And I will pray for you because it's the right thing to do. But as far as this little negotiating tactic that you're trying to pull on me, this little conversational sleight of hand, only not very far away, let me call that out for you. You will let us go. And you will let us go three days' journey into the wilderness, as we previously said. Do not cheat the Lord like you did last time. The conversations between Moses and Pharaoh are starting to ratchet up a little bit. Obviously, the plagues are becoming more intense. Pharaoh's responses are becoming more visceral. Moses is starting to grow as a leader. And Pharaoh's, uh, he calls out Pharaoh's misplaced self-confidence. There's a, shuttle, a subtle shift in, that Moses picks up on. And for the first time, we start to see Moses is a a shrewd and wise leader who has the confidence and the wherewithal to call Pharaoh out when Pharaoh's trying to deal wickedly with him. It's a good thing that Moses is starting to smell this out, that Moses is growing in his discernment and his leadership capabilities. 
Well, we know the end of the story on this particular plague. Pharaoh goes out. Moses goes out. Prays. And if it was a miracle that the swarms of flies would appear, I would say that it was an even greater miracle that the swarms of flies disappeared. They just left. Not one was left, the text says. Now, you could take that as hyperbole. It was a way to emphasize a point, but when God says not one was left, I'd like to believe that. I think we should take that for what it's worth. Just as God controlled the great swarms of insects that took over the land, so God uniformly rid the land of them. What God was trying to communicate to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians was the land where you live and dwell and walk, the places that you go and visit, the pillow on which you lay your head, is mine. The air that you breathe, the wind that brings relief, the atmosphere in which these bugs exist with you. That's mine too. God controls the water. God controls the floods. God controls the soil. God controls the ground. God controls the air you breathe. And next, God is going to start touching bodies. He begins with livestock. And then he goes to people. Simply to show Pharaoh and the Egyptians his absolute sovereign control over it all. Now, I have two applications. And we'll wrap up for the morning. Because Yahweh is Lord of all, disaster comes upon those who ignore his rule. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. There are many people who take the name Christian, who say they worship Christ, but utterly ignore the things that he says. Christ comes to you with a command, repent and believe. Christ comes to you with a statement of who he is. Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. I have up here a cross-reference to Matthew chapter 25, verses 24 through 30. Jesus tells a parable of... A story is what a parable is. He gave one fellow ten bits of money, another fellow five, another fellow one. The fellow who got one ignored the commission. He ignored it. He buried it. Didn't acknowledge. He said, I know you're a shrewd man and ignored the command of the one who'd given him the talent. And this man is called foolish and he's cast out into utter darkness because he ignored what his king had told him. Please don't ignore the Lord. That is so dangerous. It is so dangerous. 
Jesus said it this way. Every man who has ears, let him hear. How many of us have ears? <laughs> in Greek, ears and hearing and obeying are one and the same. So everybody who has ears, let him hear and obey what the Lord is telling him. If God did not let Pharaoh off the hook for ignoring him, he will not let you off the hook. Or else he would have to answer to Pharaoh. And God doesn't answer to anybody. Number two, because Yahweh is Lord of all, he doesn't bargain with his subjects. He doesn't bargain with his subjects. Now, moms and dads, how many of us, this is just as an illustration, bedtime comes and you say to your children, it's time to brush your teeth. In the Baker home, we have a brush your teeth song. Some of our children... It's a song of my own creation. I won't sing it for you now. My daughter, Gracie, will be happy to sing it for you. It's her least favorite song in all the world, okay? <laughs> when we say it's time to brush your teeth, what, what do children automatically say? They say, oh, five more minutes? Oh, can we wrap that up? Or, can, oh, hey, what do they want? They, they, they want to start bargaining, don't they? How often do we bargain with the Lord? We know what the Lord is asking for us, but we, we come back to the Lord. Maybe it can be something else. Now, there's a place to pray. Jesus prays, if it's possible to let this cup pass from me, let it pass. Paul sought the Lord three times for his thorn. You can pray, but when the Lord tells you something definitive, and he's so clear on it in Scripture, especially. Bargaining with the Lord does not land with him. And so, for example, in John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. The king is offering pardon. And he's not offering pardon in any other way. And to bargain with him is rebellion. And so I would beg you, hear and obey the king of kings. Don't try to bargain with him. His offer is gracious beyond your wildest dreams. And so I would beg of you to take it. What's the offer? For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Accept the gift of eternal life in Christ alone, and it will be yours. That's the pardon he's offering. Let's pray. Father, give us grace not to ignore you or to bargain with you, but help us to give great attention to what you say in your word. Help us to learn the lessons from Pharaoh here and drive out from us the stubborn, stubborn and rebellious hearts. I think we would all admit that we've had times in our lives where we have tried to ignore you and tried to bargain with you. And if we're trying to do that now, gently, kindly point that out to us so that we might hear and obey and receive. For we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.